Welcome to the Gather, Grow, Go podcast. I'm Pastor Daniel. I'm Pastor Melissa. And I'm just Kiefer. And today on the podcast, we continue in this series of series of conversations around mystery and mystics. Last week, if you missed it, we, we had a, an amazing conversation about what is a mystic and, and why is mystery important and what does it mean to approach faith from a place of, of contemplation and intentionality, seeking deep connection to God. We also talk about sin and wounds. T- today, we move from sin and wounds to atonement. Who's excited? <laughs> I mean, like, I immediately thought, like, who's going to actually know what atonement means off the top of their head when we say that? And also, or is it going to, it's probably one of those ones that for most of our listeners are going to be like, I've heard this word before. What does it mean? Mm. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I only know what it means because I've heard the at one mint thing. Mm. And I say know what it means lightly. I don't, I mean, I feel like since we're all still talking about it, on a big, you know, global scale, then probably no one exactly knows, you know, that this is the right answer. But so Daniel, but, uh, what is atonement? So it's <laughs> at its core, it's reconciliation of humanity to God, right? It's the, the What's space reconciliation. That, I'm just going to play the, that person. <laughs> oh man. You, you, you would, you are good at this. Um, it's that reconnection of people to God. As we talked about last week, uh, historic Christianity has has named a division uh, at the at the fall, at the place mm-hmm. where you know, um, according to historic places, you know, sin enters human life. As we talked about last week, there's an alternative way of understanding that that is actually more ancient and and yeah. historical than even Augustine's uh, um, understanding original of sin original sin. Yeah, yeah. Um but the the core of it has been how do we re how do we acknowledge and see and begin to hope and trust in the the reconnection of a hurt and hurting humanity mm. to the God of the universe, to the God who we believe is in, encountered most fully and completely uh in triune form with Christ and the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. And, and so at one moment or atonement is the theological sort of uh, word that gets thrown around for ways that Christians have historically tried to describe how reconnection to God happens, how that reconciliation happens, how we sort of restore that relationship between humanity and God that is put under stress by our woundedness, our hurtness, our sin, and our brokenness. So Kiefer, I'm interested in your perspective next on this, because uh, if you were to think of like, what is the most like pop culture understanding of atonement now understanding the definition, what would you say that is? Well, I've recently learned that it has a a name, right? Like this whole idea of penal substitutionary Mm -hmm. atonement. Um, I think I've, I think I grew up understanding what that was, um, but I didn't know that was like the name of it until recently. Uh, But this whole idea of that it's that Jesus death on the cross. um, Actually, I have this page up right here. Uh, This says the death of Jesus on the cross is the paying of a debt or the satisfying of a debt caused by humanity's sinful caused by humans sin offending God's honor. Uh, And so there's sort of this, when I read that, I just feel this immense, like, 
weight, like it's all on us, like it's our fault that Jesus died. And I and I care and and I and I want to be careful to say that I don't think it's not our fault. Like we literally Jesus was murdered by mm-hmm. like by humanity. Like humanity killed God. I think is a very important piece yeah. of that of what happened on the cross. But there's also, I mean, we were just talking about it in the last episode, that idea of God looking at us with pity and not with blame and Adam and Eve, you know, that the whole story when we were talking about, um, uh, how did we say it last time? How they, they, it wasn't an evil choice that was made, but we are now living in the effects of the evil, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. that, that kind of a thing. I don't think, I think if we can see through that, then when we come back to penal substitutionary atonement, just kind of seems a little too harsh from the God I'm familiar with and the Jesus that I'm familiar with. Like it's, it's so, and I it's think, like, I get this image of God, like pointing his finger at me, yeah. at me, you know? And I, and I, oh. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't think that I believe that that's what God is like. Well, and, and I think one of the things that we, we see in the penal substitutionary atonement, sort of the pop understanding of, um, how this reconciliation work happens, it tends to take the the life and work of Jesus and distill it to like Christ's only and primary purpose was to die. Mm, right? Yeah. Jesus came to die. Which, and, hold on, sorry. I want you to finish that thought. But if you're still going, penal substitutionary atonement, what the heck does that mean? Like, y'all have <laughs> told us words, but what does it mean? Like, most people have encountered this, and you can think most classically of C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. When Aslan dies on behalf of, you know, the sins of Narnia, that is penal substitutionary atonement theory at work, and it's like most pop culture-ist. Okay, Daniel, reinsert, go back, Jesus, okay. distilling. So the, yeah, Jesus dying for our sin, right? Yeah. Where, Kiefer, I think you were hitting at Jesus dying because of our sin. Uh, and that mm, distinction, yeah. that the, yes. the brokenness of humanity was unable to process um, this Christ who was in our midst and yeah. the threat that he represented to institutions and all sorts of things, so we put him on a cross. But, um, mm. but yeah, so this idea of substitutionary atonement, which is just as Pastor Melissa, it's a substitution. It's the, I am broken. My sin is overwhelming and somebody needs to pay a price for that. And in this case, Christ pays it on behalf of humanity, right? When taken to its most extreme form, it can um, undermine the life and work of Jesus uh, to the point where his only purpose yeah. is left to be understood as Jesus was born to die, period, full stop, end of story. Mm-hmm. We can throw out anything in the Gospels between the birth narrative and the arrest and crucifixion because mm-hmm. it's not important and not worth Now, am I being overly extreme to make a point? Maybe. But because very few Christians actually argue for the throwing out of the vast majority <laughs> of the Gospel. 
but we treat it as though it's unnecessary or it's just additional or it's or it it puts where our focus and our attention is of like how we are then to live as Christians uh, and so mm. it makes our focus be on like well it's all about like when we die and go to heaven like it doesn't have to impact how we relate or treat neighbor right now in this life that's like Some that's glad the danger yeah like that's the I mean like can we still be excited about like fly away one day? Absolutely. But we have to put it in perspective with the whole work. And I think the other like, cause there's so many atonement theories out there. I think the other one that like sneaks in and can like get mixed in with like our pop culture is what would be like considered ransom captive atonement mm-hmm. theory mm-hmm. where it's kind of similar where like, Basically, the devil has ransomed us because of sin. Like, we've paid into sin, and so now the devil owns us. And to free us from that, Christ then had to come and die to then, like, pay our ransom for our sins. I think that, I think that the, the reason I have so much trouble with that one is that it's just so transactional and so yeah it is i don't see i i can't it's hard for me to find when i when i start thinking about you know end game to uh what do y'all call is that the a marvel of, like it wasn't like, that you're trying to sneak in there <laughs> no 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 y'all have a, a an academic word for it but thinking about like the end times eschatology um, eschatology right yeah. when i start thinking about you know i i it's like whatever eschatology i it has to be rooted in I feel like what I'm, what I can experience and I can, and I can sense in what's currently going on. Like there's gotta be a connection between what's happening and where we're going because we're going there. So it's gotta like sort of make sense. And when I think about like the way the world works and grace and how we are as humans and you know, what I think I've discovered about the divine, what little bit I feel like I've seen boiling all of that down to like, and then God, you know, tricked the devil and paid for us and it just something about that just seems so like um easy i guess like to it's too like we it's that mm. just doesn't it does it's not a straight line from us being created in this beautiful garden imagery and all this kind of stuff to then boil all like to then end up with you know, some yeah. kind of business deal seems like weirdly disconnected to me there's something and why that just are we doesn't still broken if like the price has already been paid yes that's my one i was just talking about it earlier too with y'all before this episode of, of this idea of if we blame adam and eve for our sin and then we also put all of our redemption on jesus um all of that happened before like it's isn't it odd how all of that happened before i was born before i didn't experience any of that and so for somehow we end up putting our blame and our redemption on some, in somebody else's hands. Um, and it's not that I think that's necessarily bad. It's just that I also think that our own blame and our own redemption just in life, I've had to, I've had to deal with some of that on my own as mm-hmm. well, like as a person. And I think collectively we are also responsible for our redemption at times. And I think that we kind of hide, it's almost, I, I feel like I'm hiding behind the cross. If I'm going to go out there and say, Ooh like Jesus died for our sins. And so all's good. I get to ignore all the bad because I like Bonhoeffer, you know, loves to say the cost of discipleship is Mm -hmm. high, but the Mm. cheap 
the cheap discipleship is that like hiding behind the cross of like, Jesus died for me. I asked for forgiveness. Therefore, everything else is okay. Therefore, everything I do doesn't really matter. And all and that's that kind bad of like, stuff in the world, that's not on me. I'm saved. I'm me. with, you know, yeah. yeah. And so, and I don't like that. That makes me feel like I'm not participating in anything. I'm just, Which I think like where we're headed, obviously in this episode is where's the mystics kind of like stance on atonement. Yes. And the right. other thing that like, I want to lift up before we get there or to another form of um, atonement to talk about even is with like penal substitutionary or this like ransom idea. I think the other dangerous thing that we forget about is like where we also um, incidentally put the power of it and it, it allows like, and this has happened like in our pop culture uh, Christianity for it gives the devil too much credit, too much power and just too much everything because it makes uh, this evil, you know, deity figure, well, just that, a deity, an equal and opposing power to who God is. But that's never what scripture tells us about what hell or Satan, the devil, blah, 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 right, is. But instead, we give it the power when we say, yeah, like Christ had to ransom us from hell. Christ had to save us from um the from the devil like on and on and on like we so we put all the attention there instead of placing the attention on a god who loves us instead of placing the attention upon um a god who is big enough and and full of so much love and grace towards us to say i want to do something to change the wound to change the outcome of what's mm. happening here and i think that is the much more compelling and long-term beautiful um way to look at how we move to that reconciliation that at one meant with God is looking at God and not at like hell, fire, sin, brimstone, those things, the fear-based things that we talked about, but instead um, looking the other way, but penal and ransom. The only time you have time to look at is like, you know, God pointing the finger at you, the devil coming to get you like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and what we see scripturally throughout the entirety of scripture, I mean, when we take we paint with a big broad brush, um, mm-hmm. I believe it is this idea of partnership with God. God's grace begins the deal. God's love is overarching all of it, but there is human responsibility, right? Yeah. We've spent a lot of time this summer looking at the, the prophets and places of wilderness as we find ourselves in this COVID wilderness, right? And, and when we hear the prophets... When the prophets speak on behalf of God throughout the Old Testament, what is often the locus of their frustration? The people have failed to live up to their end of the covenant. They failed to live into their responsibility, their charge mm-hmm. to have lives aligned with the will and the hope of God, right? The the aim of transformation of God in the world, lives that see all that pain, that hate, that pain and that hurt and harm that exists in the world and, and begin to do something about it. Right. Um, right. And, and so, yeah. um, if, if all that Christ does is about getting us this get out of hell free card or punching your ticket to heaven, then <laughs> it seems inconsistent with so much of God's relationship with God's people given to us throughout the, the history of Holy scripture. Right. I mean, even the Great Commission, right, the the text that is the one that, you know, a lot of folks want to stand on as the thing. Mm -hmm. 
says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. We can't do that if we skip the whole middle chunk of the gospel. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If we go from birth to death, we can't live into the command Jesus has given us if we if we don't actually pay attention to the upside down world that Christ invites us into. Mm-hmm. So I think the like question then becomes like, what is the mystic like definition and what are the elements that build into a mystic kind of um, perspective of atonement, which like spoiler alert, let me go ahead and throw this out there. The cross is still important. We're not trying to remove the cross out of that, but we're also going to argue that there is a lot more to it. So I wonder for y'all, what are the other pieces that we need to look at of what is important in that at one meant with God? One of the things that we see over and over again in, in the mystic approaches to at one meant is this notion of solidarity, mm. right? Truly. And when we think about what does solidarity mean, it be, it means being with someone right in kind of in that i'm in it with you right that sort of we're in the foxhole together kind of thing there's that solidarity um in recent uh weeks and months as as uh, black lives matter and other movements for racial uh justice and police reform and those kind of things have have been in a part of our society solidarity for for many uh, white folks, for those of you who don't know, all three of us on this call are, are lily white. Pastor <laughs> Melissa has to put sunscreen on to drive a car. Um, it's true. <laughs> solidarity is the primary space in which we can be a part of the movement. We can say we are with you, mm-hmm. right? And not just say it, but begin to live it and act it. Um, and so solidarity is huge. And then within the redemption story told by the mystics. It's solidarity of Christ with humanity. And, and so there, you know, it, it moves to a place where um, Christ still bears sin and, and death of humanity on the cross, but it's not out of a, I've got to pay the ransom or God and I have this cosmic deal. It's a, I'm suffering as I know you have suffered, right? The wounds of the world are impacting and inflicting me just as they have impacted and afflicted you. Yeah. And so out of solidarity with you, we, we take on this burden uh, of the cross um, in, in really kind of the most drastic and heinous death that mm. Rome could imagine at that time. Yeah. Just so that there was no human pain or suffering that Christ couldn't be in solidarity with. Does that make sense? So like if you take it to the absolute extreme, if you take it to the, you know, death on the cross is taking the human suffering that is imaginable and possible in the first century to its physical end and extreme. Yeah. It's like he showed us how to live and then he showed us how to die. Like, and it was, Mm -hmm. and I, I, and I, I, somebody said that to me before. That's not my words, but I think what I like about the weight, there's a heaviness to that statement. Like he showed us how to die. And I was mm-hmm. talking about Philippians with, with y'all earlier about three ten, about Paul saying and urging the church to, to desire to join Christ in his suffering, even to join him 
in death on a cross is how, is yeah. how he says it mm. in that. And I'll, and, and I feel like that kind of puts that weight. Um, I think you have to take that into account just to kind of continue being a, a being a Christian is worthless. If you feel like the work is done to me, yeah. it's like if, if the work is mm. done, then the work is done. Like I can't, and, and I, and I, there's no point to me being a Christian and really almost maybe even no point in my existence. It's like, if this already all is a thing, then what is the, the point of anything? And so like, I feel like the whole arc of going that direction, um, and, and what the mystics kind of talk about when they talk about atonement, um, means that I have a role to play, um, mm -hmm. means that I can't finish the job, but I, it's like somehow I have to simultaneously know I can't finish the work, but also I have to do the work. I don't know. Is that, I get, you know, yeah, what you're saying um, resonates deeply with me before I had like this kind of language or understanding, like long before it, when I was in um, junior high, high school, when like my definition of like um, atonement without even knowing that word would be penal substitutionary, like mm -hmm. a thousand percent. I remember writing this down and I bet I could find that journal still where I like started to ponder this question of like, what is life between the trees is what I called it. Because for me, it was very important in my theology, like the tree in Genesis, right? And then the tree in Revelation, like when it is all over. So like, what is the point of the life between the trees? And that was a question I asked a lot because I really struggled with what is the point if like the mm -hmm. end work will be done in the beginning, like the, the problem was already started by the first tree and Christ is going to clean it up with the final tree. Um, so what's my point of like living this life between the trees? Like I, I knew that I could find an answer and what I didn't know was that my heart was searching for the mystics at a very young mm. age and I wouldn't come to find them till college, um, and really seminary. But, um, I think there is that, I think what you're naming Kiefer so well is that like, we do have this longing in us to be, um, a part of the work, which Christ tells us if we look at Christ's life over and over and over again, right. Is this, um, invitation to be a part of it. It's not because of us, we can't earn it, but there's an invitation to put our hand to the plow and join in the work. Yeah. It's not just a, I think the word Christian, like if I call myself a Christian, I've seen so many people have it as like a, like I've, you know, when you get too into this, I'm saved, have you been saved kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm it being a Christian is sort of this title that you've earned this type, this, um, a reward of something rather than like a job title. <laughs> like it's yeah. a, like, and I, not mm -hmm. to make it sound transactional. I'm not, I definitely don't want to do it, but it is that kind of like, it's not just a title of like that I've accomplished in my life. I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm a Christian. I made it. It's that's the first, like you're a Christian. Here's your yeah. job description. I get it's like, that's how it feels to me. It's, it's more of a responsibility than anything else. Yeah. And yeah, I think, it, go ahead. Christian is to be a little Christ. Mm -hmm. And so if we want to understand what it means to be Christian, we ground ourselves first in Christ. Yeah. And, and that's where, you know, in, in a sneaky way, our atonement theory really matters, mm -hmm. right? Because if we can chunk out all of what Christ did in the middle, we lose our job description. We lose our, you know, thrust for, for, for being and existence and, 
you know, I love the existential angst that has been in, in, in play here, but it taps <laughs> in because realistically, all of us have it at some point, right? And, and, and it crops up over and over again when we're not sort of fully distracted by our day to day, right? And, and so, um, the what now after accepting faith, the yeah. why bother after, you know, claiming faith for yourself. And, you know, it would seem like, you know, here in a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate confirmation at our, at our local church. And, and confirmation is the process in the Methodist church where young people uh, go through a season of education and then make the decision or not to claim faith for themselves. Right. Um, you know, in the overly simplistic form, why bother post-confirmation, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I think, so, so I think there's, um, we have two spectrums and it's what we really love to do right now, which is like polarize them to the ends, to like the very opposite ends that we can. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Right. American society is not polarized (laughs) in any way, shape or form. Right, exactly. Not dualistic. Uh, you mentioned those conventions last week, Daniel. That's cool. uh, you did. That's where we that are. Is yeah. <laughs> so indicative. It's just everything's this way or this way, and if it's, you're in between, you're wrong. <laughs> right, and that's and where we are going to fall is in yeah. between. So we'll be wrong to every. No, it's fine. So it's either like <laughs> you take on the like penal, very judgmental, very like God's pointing and wagging a finger at you, right? The devil's coming to get you. You're either on that spectrum of atonement um, within kind of our pop culture Christianity, or the only other choice is to just throw atonement out the window, that atonement isn't needed. But instead, what I think the, the mystic, I think to summarize the mystic stance on atonement would be to take sin and evil very seriously in the world, to acknowledge that it is there and it's present and that something needs to be done about it. Um, And then it takes into effect, and this is where it's going to sound very common to what pop culture is with one very distinct difference. Um, It takes into account God's righteous judgment for the world without punitive penalties. Right. Mm-hmm. Like wow. that's the piece that like we, we want to equate God's righteousness to get mad, get even instead. God constantly yeah. is showing us. Elaine says something like talking, talking about how her, was it her vision or she talks about somebody else had this vision of God's, um, this, Woundedness. Yeah, she said something about removing God's wrath from from the equation of of God's judgment. Yeah, like that's from Julian of Norwich. Yeah, that. That's okay. Yes, yeah, I remember that now. And I and I had never, I didn't even think that I still, um, thought that way about you know the end the end goal or God's judgment being angry. But I think I did still have some of that internalized because I read that and I was like. Yeah, okay. I, I definitely still mm-hmm. have a bit of a wrathful, but when you remove, I mean, it all goes back to that, the way she talked about Genesis too. When you remove blame from Adam yeah. and Eve and you just are left with pity, pity doesn't incite wrath. Like you can't, you can't start with pity and, and truly loving your creation yeah. and end with somehow punishing the thing that you know they had no control over. Right. Like the, like, 
Elaine Heath writes it this way of like the end result of like atonement from the mystics of mm-hmm. instead they, the mystics offer a compassionate, profoundly hopeful vision of God's love that is healing, inclusive and global. And that is concerned with individuals as well as communities, a perspective that is fundamental to a contemplative vision for life, evangelism, Christianity. So, Melissa, you just said this word evangelism uh, just Mm -hmm. now. And the title of this book that we're in uh, is called The Mystic Way of Evangelism. And we've obviously talked a lot about mysticism over the last little bit here. Um, But evangelism is a word that I'm fairly familiar with, at least in one definition sense. Um, And probably most Christians have heard the word before. Um, For me, unfortunately, it kind of has a bitter taste in my mouth when I say it. Um, and I know Four letter word. It's a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I think I understand the reason evangelism is a thing, but I think the way that it's always been presented to me has just been very much um, not, like it's never really seemed like the way I need to be a Christian, but everybody mm-hmm. seems to ha- agree on this way that you're supposed to evangelize. So what would the mystic way of evangelism, um, how would that be different than maybe the ways that I've, heard the word evangelism before like what would what's the difference there yeah for me it it basically is two things and i'd love for daniel to like tack on add on if there's more that you that you think of as well um but the first and foremost is your definition of good news of gospel um it actually has to be good news it can't be fear-based it can't be looking at well, Jesus is saving you from something, from the devil, from the fires of hell, whatever, right? Which is so many times what good news in an evangelism setting gets equated to. Instead, I think the more compelling good news is the good news that God loves me and God loves you too, um, right? And we can get into the like nuances and beauty and detail of what all that means. So the good news, the gospel has to be prominent first in your evangelism Mm -hmm. work in that definition of what you mean by that has to be good as well. It has to actually match what we see scripturally as good news. And then the second, um, and this is where it probably pushes the mystic way, pushes really against the um, more of what we see of like people standing on corners with bullhorns and all this is that it needs to be relational. I think the best evangelism is based in relationship because it's not trying to um, assume who you are as a stranger. Um, It's not trying to um, wag the finger at the sins that I assume this person or that person passing me on the corner has or hasn't taken on, right? Instead, it assumes a place of genuine care. It assumes a place of I'm interested in an authentic Um, getting to know who you are. And from that place, it's so easy to share stories, which we would call witness um, in this kind of world, right? It's so easy to allow people to ask the questions they have of you and to give a genuine response in relationship rather than just trying to like 
craft something from thin air to then make work for all the masses of people. Instead, it's much more individualized. And it's much more the way that we see Christ um, and even Paul doing the work of evangelism throughout Scripture is through knowing people, through getting to know the leaders or having disciples, and then empowering those disciples to go out and to build relationships with other people, right? To build churches, to get to know them. It's networks of relationships. So to me, evangelism is two very simple things. It is genuine good news and authentic relationships um, without an agenda. Hmm. Yeah, the, the main distinction for me, and, and, and you've kind of touched on it, Melissa, is it's ground in the embodiment. Yeah. Right? Are we aiming for a scoreboard? Right? To say, we saved 150 people this weekend. Right? Is that the aim? Or is the aim to embody a love that even begins to bear witness in some form or fashion to the love of God in the world? Right? Yeah. That kind of grounding foundational relationship that is is not transactional, right? Mm-hmm. That's not aimed at, um, you know, getting you to say the prayer and then pretending like you don't exist anymore, yeah. right? And I know that's an extreme stereotype within many of the churches, but but that the mystic way, it it's a slow way, I, mean, mm-hmm. I think, in a lot of ways, right? It, it is. It's a, it's a slow way um your church growth experts may not like the mystic way that's right uh, but it's a, and i'm reminded you know as <laughs> as we sit the three of us on this call we are three um methodists who come from the wesleyan tradition and and we're reminded that even in wesley's day right he deeply believed in formational discipleship right mm-hmm. he he wouldn't have claimed the the label mystic but some of his practices from an evangelism standpoint were mystic oriented contemplative oriented in that they were slow and relational yeah. and connected and um he built systems and communities networks of relationship that ended up having sort of a much more lasting impact on the world and on christian life than, than some of the guys in his day. And I say yeah. guys because predominantly in Wesley's days, right. it was guys. Though um, there were some women, which was radical for Wesley's time. So we'll ab- at least give them some props there. Absolutely. But people like George Whitfield, right? Yeah. Um, who was a renowned preacher, mm-hmm. right? Renowned. Could you know talk to a thousand people and have, you know, he's the Billy Graham of his day, right? That kind of. I mean, it's who we think of when you think historically of like the great American revival. The the preacher you're thinking there is Whitfield, right? And, and and Wesley, I love Wesley. He's my homeboy. But you read his sermons and you imagine them preached, and you hear people give sort of reflections on his preaching and his teaching. He was real smart mm-hmm. and worked real hard and deeply loved Jesus. But he had moments where he was real boring, too. <laughs> it's very okay? true. And, and, and so, like, but the difference between Whitfield, who brought a lot of people to that moment of decision, mm-hmm. and Wesley, who, like the mystics, created a, a system of evangelism, not, and that sounds wrong, but a, a community and network of relationships right. meant that the life transformation 
that was ground in his work and the ground in the work of many of the mystics had a much longer shelf life and led to multiplication in ways that just the singular great pulpiteer did not. Since I, since we've like brought up, uh, you know, we're, we've been talking about Elaine Heath, who Daniel and I both ha- got to take classes from at Perkins. Um, and we've brought up other Perkins professors. Might as well continue the trend. Uh, the way you're describing this, uh, Daniel, has kept making me think of a quote from uh, Dr. Billy Abraham, who okay. would say that evangelism begins when you... Um, when someone crosses the threshold into the church doors for the first time, and it ends when they take Dr. Abraham's systematic theology class. <laughs> and all that is a simple like way to say, because like how many people are actually going to take a like systematic theology class with Dr. Abraham that go to our like, you know, go to a church? Not very many, very, very few. But the point that he was trying to make is that the work of evangelism doesn't actually ever really end. And mm. so many times our definition of evangelism is get them across the threshold of the church doors and I'm done, throwing up my hands. I'm free. I did evangelism. But rather relational evangelism is evangelism that cares about the person at every stage of their discipleship growth. Mm. Mm. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on the Gather, Grow, Go podcast. I'm Pastor Daniel. I'm Pastor Melissa. And I'm just Kiefer. And uh, as usual, we want to bring so many people into this conversation. I'm loving this conversation that we're having. This might, this conversation that we just had might have been, might be taking the top spot for me uh, out of all the, all the conversations I've gotten to have with you guys on this podcast. And so um, we would love to bring as many people into this as possible. And so you can best help us do that by um, leaving a comment or a review um, in, uh, based on the platform you're listening on, uh, but also sharing this to your socials and, and uh, just kind of getting the word out about uh, this conversation, this podcast. And that'll, that'll really help us out. And now that we've gathered together this day, I want to give you an invitation to grow. And the invitation is simple, but not always easy. The invitation to grow this week is to invest. Invest your time, your heart, in cultivating a relationship with God and with your neighbor. Spend time this week building a connection with somebody you already know or maybe somebody new seeking to embody the love that Christ has for them and being a reflection for them of a love for them that's bigger than they could ever dream. And now go, receive this benediction, this blessing that's meant to be lived out as you go from this place this week. May you encounter a God whose atonement for you takes seriously the wounds you have encountered and your neighbor's wounds. May you go encountering a God whose atonement brings righteous justice of love and grace. And may you go encountering an evangelism in the people who are in deep relationship with you that care about your discipleship walk, not just on the first day of your faith, but today's day of faith. May you go in peace. Amen. Amen. Amen.